chapter 34. Uh, and so if you want to use your Bible in front of you or maybe an app, I, f- I feel like this is hot right now. Is that true? Not me, the, the, the mic. Uh, and so uh, if you want to follow along, it will be on the screen. Otherwise, you can look on, again, your phone, your, uh, your, your Bible in front of you. Uh, and just to set this up, we're in this very unique part of the chapter is, or of the book because in the first 33 chapters of Ezekiel, uh, it's about Ezekiel and, and Israel going into exile. Remember uh, how Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken under captivity by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah was taken under captivity under the Babylonians. Uh, and, and so Ezekiel and his people were, were shipped off to Babylon. Uh, but the unique part of the story is that though these people were in captivity, the city of Jerusalem in uh, and, and the, and the nation of the southern kingdom, the Judah, uh, it was still intact. There was nothing happening there. Uh, it, was, it was desolate, uh, maybe a little bit lighter as far as population, uh, but the land was still safe. But within the first 33 chapters, what we've read and what we've experienced is that God keeps warning Israel because uh, of their unfaithfulness. God warns them of their corrupt leadership. God warns them of their idolatry of other gods, of their greed, their selfishness, and saying because of that, something worse is going to happen. And in chapter 34, uh, that worse just happened where finally the, the, the southern kingdom, the city of Jerusalem, has been taken over under siege. And the worst part is, uh, Jerusalem has fallen, the temple has been destroyed. And so that's where we are, and that's where we're picking up. Uh, chapter 34, uh, verse 1 uh, through 4 is gonna, will be our public reading. Uh, and it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So God is saying to, Israel, to, to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to say to the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. So God here, through Ezekiel, is speaking uh, to the leaders of Israel and saying, here's what's happening, here's what I see. As we continue, it says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains. My sheep wandered over all the animals in every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us in all facets of our lives, including leadership. And many of us 
including myself, we come to you with confession and repentance. God, as we sit here and listen to your word, we ask you to be with those that are traveling, all the families that are having an incredible time, give them memory, give them safety, give them laughter. God, there are some families right now that are suffering, that are experiencing uncertainty with the things that are happening uh, with immigration and with asylum and refugees and ICE. And so, God, we, in all the chaos and all the mess and all the fear, would you intervene? Would you be a God of peace? And would you be a God of mobilizing others to, to, to do what is right? We thank you. We know that in the midst of division, in this political climate, that you are God and our allegiance is to you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. And so as I sit, stand here and as you guys sit here, I just want to ask you to, to ask yourself, you don't have to say this out loud, you don't have to share with the person next to you, uh, but if I ask you the question, what makes a great leader, and you don't have to say this out loud again, what makes a great leader, I want you to take a second and just to, to think of a few words that might describe what a good leader to you resembles. And if I bet, if I bet we, all, we all shared on what those answers might be, of course it would be a wide range of words, of concepts, uh, of descriptions of what a good leader is. Uh, but for a lot of us, including myself, here in the West, I bet a lot of the adjectives that we would use is uh, a good leader uh, exemplifies strength. They make uh, good decisions. They make it fast. They're fearless. They're courageous. They don't care about what other people think. They're movers. They're doers. And as I think about what a good leader is, and I think about those adjectives that are for good reason attached to good leadership, I can't help but to look through a lens of my own experience, my own background as, first of all, as a bicultural person, uh, for someone who's traveled all across the world, and you know, I wish I would have gone to more places, but uh, the few of the countries that I have seen, it seems as if uh, in one place, Great leadership, description, and adjectives might be praised here, but in actuality, it's actually seen as a liability or a deficit over here. And, and so I think about even my own background as a, as a Korean American. Uh, there's this word that uh, I grew up with, and it's a Korean word. It may sound silly, but it's the word called nunchi. Uh, and if you're a Korean or have Korean friends, you may have heard this word nunchi before. Uh, and there's no actual English translation or interpretation of this word nunchi. Uh, but one writer says this, it is a Korean concept that translates to cultural competency and emotional intelligence. It involves awareness, empathy, competency, and willingness. Yet another writer puts it this way, uh, it's a subtle art of listening, engaging another's mood. It's not, he would disagree, it's not quite social or emotional intelligence and not quite tact, but includes them all. Some would consider it a soft skill, but it's perhaps the most difficult 
to master. Nunchi only works if you are authentic and sincere. And in Korea, in Korean culture, <clears throat> this alone is one of the, if not most important virtues when it comes to interpersonal communication and interpersonal relationships and in leadership. The ability to empathize, the ability to put yourself in one's shoe and, and then act accordingly. If I'm honest, growing up, uh, I was told many times from my parents that I lack nunchi, uh, the virtue that many Koreans aspire to have. And, and I say this, and I give you this uh, description and definition because uh, as we talk about definitions of leadership and, and valued qualities uh, in what a leader looks like, I wonder when we compare ourselves to other cultures, other peoples, other groups, that maybe some of us have some repenting to do in the ways that we've led others. For most of us, if not all of us, not just looking at other cultures and other peoples, but it's actually looking in the scriptures as we look at what Ezekiel chapter 34 says, I bet all of us will have an opportunity or a need to repent and to confess in the ways that we have led others. Now, I'm not saying that one country or one group has it right or better, but I would say, in fact, Ezekiel here sheds light on how we've all messed it up, how we've all missed a mark when it, when, it, when it comes to leadership and how we lead others. And oftentimes, it's antith- uh, the antithesis of what and how the scripture uh, describes it to be. And as we continue, many of you hearing this, <clears throat> knowing that this chapter and this whole sermon is going to be about leadership, uh, some of you guys are going to be tempted to check out. Because for many of us, we believe that we're not leaders, that we have no influence. And, and I would argue that the reality is uh, that this chapter 34 in the entirety of Scripture that talks about leadership, Jesus being the best example of it, uh, applies to all of us, to every single person sitting in this room to any pastor, such as myself, and staff, to any CEO, manager, entrepreneur, stay-at-home mother, stay-at-home fathers, uh, anybody and everybody, this idea of leadership applies to. Essentially, and, and I would say this, as long as you are in community, and I say that rhetorically because all, all of us, we're in some sense of community. I would say, as long as you are in community, you are in leadership. As long as you're in a community, you are in leadership, and your leadership matters. It matters. Maybe you're a leader at work. No matter what your position is, you are a leader. Whether, again, you're the owner, you're the CEO, you're an intern, you're a volunteer, how you conduct, how you treat others, how you think, how you work, your ethics, your morals, it matters when it comes to your influence and leadership. Maybe, again, it's at home. You are a leader. You're a leader of your spouse. And again, you are equally, whether uh, you're male, female, whatever, you are equally leading one another. You are equally submissive, uh, submitting to, to one another. And so, if you're a spouse, you are a leader. Doesn't matter what gender, you're a leader. You lead one another. If you have children, you lead your children. Maybe some of you guys are older siblings. Oftentimes, uh, we lead by our examples and our influence of our siblings. 
and oftentimes we learn from the younger siblings as well, at church. I would say many of you, whether you know it or not, you are a leader, not because you have a title, not because you have some kind of status, but because people are watching. And oftentimes they want to emulate the way that you serve, the way that you love. And sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes we see people behave in ways that are not Christ-like. And that becomes uh, an example of, for many people, what the church might be. Maybe it's in your own neighborhood with your neighbors, your softball team, your rec league, your gym. My point is, all of us, as long as you're in a community, which all of us are in one way or another, you are a leader, whether you know it or not. And oftentimes it's not. We don't know it. I remember, you know, a, a, a couple months ago, you know, I'm not one of those cool pastors that are always on Twitter and and, you know, tweet things, like, because I have, like, maybe four followers. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I will look uh, every so often, and, and I go to this function where I can see people that have, like, tweeted my name or something, uh, and, and I missed it because I hadn't checked it in a long time. And someone posted, and, and I, maybe you're in this room. I don't, I don't know who this person, uh, I haven't met this person at that time, uh, took a picture of me posted it, and it was a picture of me after church taking out the garbage. I literally had two garbage bags behind me walking towards the dumpster. Uh, And he wrote, you know, this is the pastor of the church, hashtag leadership. And I thought to myself, okay, you were at church that day. You must have heard what I said. You must have uh, hopefully seen the way I've treated people and said hello and greeted and I've done all these things. And to you, uh, the example of, of leadership, the way that I exemplify leadership was none of that. It was none of what I said, uh, really what I even did in the pulpit or, in, or at the church building. It was me taking out the garbage. And, and so a couple things popped in mind. A, uh, is that, again, people are looking whether you know it or not. Your influence, you have influence whether you know it or not. And not only that, uh, sometimes you'll be surprised at who you influence. You'll be surprised how you influence. You'll be surprised on the, uh, on the impact your influence has. Everybody here leads one way or another, whether you know it or not. And, and so we look into this context of, uh, of Ezekiel chapter 34 which talks and addresses how we should all lead others and really how we should not. Again, there are a few observations about this context in Ezekiel chapter 34 is that the chapter before in verse 21, it says this, in the 12th year of our exile, remember they're in exile, they were removed out of the southern kingdom, out of Jerusalem into Babylon, and it says on the 12th year of our exile, in the 10th month of the fifth day, Ezekiel is very particular, uh, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has fallen. Now, if you just read right through Ezekiel, I know a lot of you guys, because we're in Ezekiel, you've read this in your Bible studies, in your devotions, right? Uh, It's easy to just skim right through this verse. But the reality is, this verse itself is a huge deal. This is the turning point in all of Ezekiel. This is what Ezekiel is about. It's about this moment in time in in ancient Israel history 
where their city was taken over and their temple was destroyed. The city has fallen. The city has fallen. And it's this messenger. I mean, imagine you, a lot of you guys are uh, not from Seattle. Raise your hand if you're not from Seattle. I've asked this before, but raise your hand. Yeah, if you look around, this is literally almost everybody. Uh, and a few months ago, uh, before summer, when there was a little bit, the room was a little bit more full, still, it was everybody that was not from Seattle. So imagine uh, you're in Seattle, maybe uh, because of work or, or, or other reasons, and you get a call uh, from someone living in your hometown who you, or, or where, a place that you would still identify as or a resident of, you're just here perhaps temporarily, which is most of Seattle, uh, a lot of transient people uh, coming here, again, temporarily for jobs or whatnot, and you get a call saying, hey, your hometown has just been taken over. Uh, your hometown, uh, the, 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 the church there or the monument there or something significant there has fallen over. That's what it felt like, but I would say even uh, to a higher degree because for the, Israel, for the Israelites, Jerusalem was our holy place. That's where they met with God. That's where everything happened. That's where life happened. That's where they learned. That's where they found transformation in God. That's where they found forgiveness. That's where they found this intimacy with God in the temple. And they get this call while they're in Babylon saying, that place that you so love has now fallen. This is what's happening in Ezekiel chapter 34. And chapter 34 is the reason why. And the second observation is this. It's ultimately due to the inept leadership of Israel. There was injustice of the kings. And this was much of Israelite history. Not just a few, but out of 40 plus leaders, only 30 to 35 of them were somewhat good. Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about the irresponsibility and the neglect of leaders, specifically Jehoiakim in, in 609 to 598 BC. This was uh, the king of Israel, of Judah. After that, it was Zedekiah. He ruled from, uh, from 598 to, to 587, which 587 is when the temple was destroyed. 587 is a, or 586, depending on which scholar, uh, is a very, very important date in Jewish history. It's when the temple had fallen. And Zedekiah was a king up to that moment. And so uh, Ezekiel is talking specifically about these two kings and their advisors. This was... Uh, just about, not just about leadership in general. This was about people in power. This was very political in nature. Saying that because of your leaders, Israel has fallen. And lastly, the third observation of this context is that uh, this whole chapter is based on this idea of shepherds. And we see shepherds all throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, today we may not be able to resonate uh, what a shepherd does, uh, of how people tend uh, sheep and goats. Uh, but during the ancient Israel and even in the first century, so Old Testament and New Testament, shepherds were a very common vocation for people uh, during this time because of the land that uh, was very conducive to having sheep that was mobile, that ate grass, that uh, this was the vocation of the time. 
And so anyone that heard analogies of shepherd, uh, again, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we'll talk about how Jesus was the good shepherd. Everyone's light bulb went off because they knew exactly what the writers were talking about. Shepherds were obviously the ones that took care of sheep. They protected sheep. They provided for the sheep because the sheep uh, were a bit clueless. Uh, The sheep uh, were very vulnerable. The sheep couldn't fend for themselves. And so it was up to the shepherd to care and love and protect, even risk their own lives for the sake of the sheep. Everybody would have known this analogy and symbolic reference to shepherds during this time. And the indictment of God through Ezekiel to these shepherds, to the leaders of Israel that, that were charged, just like shepherds with sheep, were charged to protect, were to give, were to sacrifice, uh, were to feed, there was an indictment. In chapter 34, here's why Jerusalem was taken over. This is why you have been taken under captivity because your leaders were inept and selfish. In verse 2 to 3, uh, it, it, it said that they fed themselves. The indictment, the first indictment was you fed yourselves. And we'll talk about three different indictments. The indictment number one was God to Israel, to the leaders of Israel, you fed yourself. The second indictment is you abused your power. And the third indictment was your influence had severe consequences. So the first, in verse 2 to 3, it talks about how Israelite kings throughout history didn't care about their sheep, but they ultimately only cared about themselves. You were only, God's accusation was you were only out for yourselves. Again, shepherds were charged to sacrifice their own well-being for the sake of the sheep, but in fact, they did the exact opposite. They were interested only in themselves, their own gains, their own profits, their own wealth, their own status, and their own comfort. And not only that, the worst part is they did this, they achieved this success, and they, they thrived with material possessions and wealth and status. They did this by preying on the weak and the vulnerable to get what they wanted. They had a responsibility to protect the sheep, the shepherds did. And the kings had the responsibility to protect and to look out for the, the interest of, of their sheep, of the people that they are king over, that they may prosper, that they may live well, that they may experience this wealth. And, and yet, they not only plundered that, they not only selfishly looked with greed in their own gain, but they did that by taking from the vulnerable, from the weak. The very commitment that they've made as kings they did the very opposite. I mean, let's put it this way. Many of us, we've been on an airplane before. Okay, I, I, I think that's, that's true for a lot of us. We've all traveled. We've all had the privilege to experience other states and countries and cities. And when we get onto an airplane, and myself included, uh, there are times where we get lucky enough to sit in the emergency seat row, Right? Uh, and for a lot of you, not me, but a lot of you with longer legs, 
love the emergency seat because you can just kind of kick back, you can, you know, put your feet out, you have more space in that emergency row. Hey, myself included, I may not have the longest legs, uh, but for people like me, we can straight up just lay down, right? Because there's so much space, it's awesome. And every time we sit in that emergency seat, the emergency door seat, uh, the flight attendant, he or she will come up to us uh, and they'll ask us to read the stipulations of, of sitting in that row. And the stipulation is basically this. If, heaven forbid, that the plane goes down, that you will be responsible uh, in opening the doors and as the inflatable exit comes out, that you will help people, you'll look out for people to go down that slide, and, and ultimately you will be the last one off. And, and for many of us, if you're like me, we're like, yeah, 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 great, great, see you later, and we, you know, take our nap. We don't actually look at the pamphlet that they have. Uh, but for those of you that need a reminder, if you get lucky enough to sit there, you have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to look after other people that even in case of emergencies, that you would ultimately sacrifice your own self for the well-being of others. And, and I would say, if anything like me, it might be a good gamble because it's, uh, it's a level of comfort. And, and I ask myself, uh, if, again, heaven forbid, something were to happen, would I do exactly what I've committed myself to doing? And the answer is, I hope that I would. And I hope that I would help people. I look after people. Uh, and that I wouldn't, maybe worst case scenario, I'd open the door and say, see you later, you guys. And I'm out the slide. Wee, and, you know, and I am safe and I go home. I hope that's not the case. I don't think that's the case. But you have to understand that during this time, that's what it felt like. We have a responsibility. We've been charged to do something, especially to risk your own life, to put yourself last for the sake of others. And yet these people, uh, the Israelite king just went down the slide. They saved themselves and forget you is essentially what they did. But the worst part is on their way out to the emergency slide, they took their airplane pretzels, give me that, and then they took off. I mean, that's exactly what this passage is saying. It's not only did they thrive off of uh, the wealth and their power, but they used and abused the people that were powerless in order to achieve their own wealth and status. And I can't help but to ask myself and for you, what kind of leader are you? Do you give of yourself to the people that you lead. Again, we're all leaders in this room one way or another. Are you generous with yourself, with your possessions, with your time? Are you selfless? And this is a hard concept to understand because we're so conditioned to be the opposite. Remember when I asked you, what is a good leader? Oftentimes it's strength, it's, it's power, it's doing this, it's wealth, it's, it's possessions, it's positions. And oftentimes in order to escalate ourselves up to that level, we have to push ourselves or push others down. Oftentimes our elevation, our gain, and our prosperity is oftentimes at the expense of others. And I wonder if the scripture is teaching us that there's another way, that there's a better way. For those of you that know me, you know that I've heard, talked about this book several times. 
Uh, it's a book by David Brooks, uh, who writes for the New York Times, and he wrote a book called The Second Mountain. And, and I really encourage you all to, to read this. Uh, and he says something about leadership that I really value. Uh, and this book is about what it looks like to have a different frame of mindset uh, of Here's the first mountain, which is all about our own personal gains, our own selfishness, our own needs and desires and acquiring wealth. And at some point in our lives, all of us, it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what philosophical background you come from, that we all need to experience this second mountain, this idea of accomplishment. He says this, in a hyper-individualistic society, people are not measured by how they conform to a shared moral code. They're not measured by how fully they have submerged themselves in thick relationships. They are measured by what they uh, have individually achieved, status, admiration, and being loved, and being loved follow personal achievement. Selfishness is accepted because taking care of oneself and promoting the self it's a prime mission. It's okay to be self-oriented because in a properly structured society, private selfishness can be harnessed to produce, good, to, to produce public goods, such as economic growth. Uh, he continues and says, researchers at the Harvard Graduate School of Education recently asked 10,000 middle school and high school students if their parents cared more about personal achievements or whether they were kind. 80% said their parents cared more about achievements individual success over relational bonds. And, and this should be no surprise to many of us, if not all of us, uh, that the, the priority and, and what is admired is not necessarily the relationships that we build, not necessarily how kind we are to others, but about what we have achieved. And so in your leadership, in my leadership, do we care about our own achievements more than we care about people? And I would say a more godlier understanding what Ezekiel says through, uh, God, what God says through Ezekiel in chapter 34 is actually, it's an upside down kingdom. What you've been conditioned to learn and to know about good leadership oftentimes is the opposite. Have you only fed yourself? Have you fed others is the question. And, and the second briefly is this. The indictment, not only have you fed yourself, is the second accusation that God made to uh, the Israelite kings was you abused your power. You've abused your power. This we've seen a lot in our days. We've seen people abuse their power, their status, their money, their position to lord over, to coerce, to manipulate, to abuse people that may be under them as far as position, as, uh, of wealth. And I have to confess, and many of you guys know that this isn't just in the business world, but this kind of abuse of power has happened even in the church, has happened locally in Seattle, has happened all over the country and the world. Spiritual abuse is a real thing. And many of us have experienced that. And to those that have experienced a sense of spiritual abuse, I am so sorry on behalf of the church. On 
behalf of Christians. I've experienced this myself, and to be honest, I've probably done this myself subconsciously. Oftentimes, from our power, we use fear to control and to achieve our own agenda. And verse 4 says, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. You have ruled them. This is all about power. This is all about the abuse of power and using fear and control. And it's so shameful that the church has been one of the guiltiest entities of this. Pastors have been the guiltiest. And and notice that uh, throughout chapter 34, that when God speaks through Ezekiel, God uses the words, my sheep that I gave you. The blessings in our lives, what God is saying, that the blessings in our lives will always, 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 always be attached to stewardship. The wealth that you have, the relationships that you have, the possessions that you have, the positions that you're in, none of those in itself are evil or bad in its nature. But it's the question of, have you been stewarding that well? And the accusation that God is making is, A, you fed yourself, you've been selfish, you haven't done the job of protecting and giving to the sheep. You've actually not only fed yourself, but you have abused the power that I gave you. The trust that I've given you for the sheep, you have abused. This is a question of stewardship. And the question for all of us is, what are you doing with the influence that you have? Even not using the influence you have is actually a sense of poor stewardship in itself. You may not be using your influence to manipulate others, to cast fear or to control or to have your own even wealth or or, or gain or establish uh, status. Not using your influence is just as guilty of, of poor stewardship as the other side. There's a story in the Bible where, uh, in the New Testament, where these people bury their treasures, their talents. In this parable, that says, this person says, what have you done with the things that I've given you? And the very last person says, you know what, I've buried them. I've done nothing with them. No harm, no foul. And it's a story and the idea is Jesus is saying to this person, no, that, you are just as guilty of poor stewardship uh, as much as anybody else is in leadership steering people the wrong way for their own ambition and their own agenda. And so the question for us is, what are you doing with your influence? The very things that give you power. A lot of us, many of us, we have a sense of power one way or another. Whether you like it or not, we do. You do. And in this context, chapter 34 particularly is talking about power in our system, in our structures. Are you advocating for the very people God wants us to advocate for with your influence? And I don't want to say, are you becoming, oftentimes at church and pastors we say, are you becoming a voice for the voiceless? I don't always like that because every human being has a voice. Every human being has a voice. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are we helping others to listen and to hear? The Bible all throughout the Old Testament, particularly the Old Testament, particularly chapter 35, 34, 
God speaks of what scholars call the vulnerable quartet. The vulnerable quartet. The widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. Those four come up time after time after time after time. The widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. And to put this under context in ancient Israel, these are the people that are most powerless. And so with your power, we all have a sense of power. Some call it privilege. The question is, what are you doing with it? Because those in itself, they're not bad. They're not evil. You should not feel guilty or ashamed of having it. But the question is, how are you maximizing it in order to be obedient and faithful to the scriptures of serving others, not just serving yourself, using your power not to abuse the system for your own achievement, but to actually help the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, the poor. And oftentimes, these we all have in our own lives one way or another. People that are powerless, people that society has casted out, the people that other people take advantage of. What is your place in their lives? And God is saying to the Israelites, you have not protected them. I have called you, I have, I have made you stewards of my sheep, of people. And you've treated them harshly, brutally. You've abused your position, your wealth, your power, your position. And the question is the same for us. What are we doing with that influence that we have? The power, the privilege that many of us have. The widow, the immigrant, the orphan, the poor. Lastly, your influence. This is the last indictment. Your influence had and has for us consequences. In verse six, again, it says this, my sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. My sheep has scattered. As a consequence to our irresponsibility as leaders, and that, that's me included, the ways that we failed in our leadership and our influence, the ways that we've only fed ourselves, the way that we have abused our powers, the way that we have not used our powers. Again, we see vulnerable people groups. We see vastness in the income gap. We see addiction. We see homelessness. We see, we, we see so many different things in our own society, in our own worlds, because of our lack of, inf- or our lack of good use of a godly influence, there's consequences. To so the question of the day, have you fed yourself? Have you abused your power? Have you not used your power? Because if so, the reality is your leadership has produced consequences. It does. And I don't mean when you make honest errors or, or, or life takes a weird spin or things are out of your control. When you've abused your influence, when you have uh, taken for granted your position, when you've only selfishly fed yourself, it has an impact. But if you've been under this kind of leadership, if you've been under a leader 
that have only fed themselves, that have abused their power, know that God is always the one in control. That's what this whole chapter in 34 is all about. That even when there's leadership that is corrupt and perhaps this sounds trite or at worst sounds a bit privileged, God is reminding us that God will always, always, always have the last word. Never the government, never your boss, never a, a political party, never any agenda, no matter what news station you listen to, the person who has the last word will always be God and God is always in the business of redemption. In chapter 34, the whole first half is all about here are the ways that you've missed the mark. You've fed yourself. You've abused your power. Uh, and, and that has consequences. There, there's sheep that were hurt. You never, you never took care of them. There were hungry sheep. You never fed them. And, and if you read on to the latter part of chapter 34, it's actually addressing those very things. God is saying, therefore, I will feed the sheep. Therefore, I will look for the lost. Therefore, I will bandage the wounded. Therefore, I will feed the hungry. The whole idea of Ezekiel chapter 34 is very redemptive in nature. The first 33 chapters is all about a fallenness in the world because of the leadership. And the second half of chapter 34 is saying, but don't fret because at the end of the day, as trite as this sounds, this is what gives hope in our lives that have experienced hard leaders, abuse, spiritual abuse, uh, coercion, is that God is in control. No matter what we hear on TV, no matter what we hear of what any candidate says on the left or the right or in the middle, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, God is in control and our allegiance and our loyalty is what God says in our lives. And God says that for those of us that have been under marginalization, under leadership, been abused, that God will always have the last word. In fact, God promises that justice will be God's, not ours. Chapter 34 also says if you've been this kind of leader, if you've been, not just been under this leadership, if you've been this kind of leader, I know I've been this kind of leader, whether I know it or not, the call for us is to confess and to repent, to confess and to repent and look to Christ. In verse 34, real quick, it says this. It says, I will place over them one shepherd. This is God's redemptive uh, uh, hope for the people. Your leaders, your kings, have messed up. Because they've messed up, things are messed up. The temple has fallen, Jerusalem has been sieged. But here's the hope. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, what you have to understand is, yes, it is through David himself, who uh, is a redemptive king, but it's also through David's lineage, the line of David. And the person who's in the Davidic lineage, the, the, the line of David, is Jesus. And, and Ezekiel, I believe, many scholars believe uh, that Ezekiel is talking about not just David himself, but a coming Messiah that will come through the line of David. And in the New Testament reveals to us that is the person of Jesus. And yet, so therefore, it's no accident in John 10, 14, 15, it says, I am the good shepherd. 
Jesus becomes the culmination of what a good and, and perfect leader should be like. In the Old Testament, uh, before chapter 34 of Ezekiel, uh, the leaders have messed up. The, the city has crumbled because of that. But don't you worry. The leader to the line of David, his name is Jesus, says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep knows me. The very opposite of what the Israelite leaders were guilty of. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. And I love this part because as a good leader, it's all about not just elevating yourself, but elevating others, even if it costs you something. In the ancient Near East, the way that the shepherds tended to their sheep at night, uh, when there were predators around, they would put the sheep into the pen. And if you imagine a pen, it's like a stone wall uh, and he says, not only is he the good shepherd, but he's the gates. And what that means is, as a good shepherd, a shepherd, an actual shepherd in the first century, will literally lay down at this opening of the pen. So the pen didn't have a door. Like, you knock, knock, you know, who is it? Like, are you safe? Like, come on in. Like, there was no door to this sheep pen. So when the shepherds would herd the sheep, put them in the pen during the evenings to avoid the predators... The shepherd would literally lie in the crevice of the doorway and fall asleep to protect the sheep, to give of uh, the shepherd's own life to protect the sheep of other predators. And Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the one we look to. If you want to know what good leadership looks like, if you want to be a good leader, look to the person, the life and the resurrection of the sacrificial Christ. And we get a chance to respond so appropriately through communion. As I invite the band to come back up, we're going to talk about this idea of the Eucharist. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He says, take this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you. And then he says, take this cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. And ultimately, this communion as we partake, it, this is the symbol of what Christ did for us, for you and me on the cross. He led sacrificially. He led humbly. He led with you and I in mind. He led himself straight to the cross. And so we can look to the scripture and say, what does a shepherd look like? How have I failed as a shepherd, a.k.a. as a leader? May this time be a time of confession. May this time be a time of repentance. May this be a time of, of introspection of the influence you have. You have influence. You are a leader. Have you abused that leadership? Have you fed yourself? Would we look to Christ? An example of life and death, saying that I will lead, I will lead by giving of my life. Will we be those leaders in the church, in our city, in our jobs, in our homes? Will we look to the good shepherd and be like the good shepherd? I invite the communion servers forward. Uh, and as you come up, we're going to sing and partake as you're ready and willing. This table is open for everybody. 
come and receive the good news of our leader, Jesus. Let me pray and we'll worship. God, we thank you for your example of leadership. We thank you for who you are, your life, your death, and your resurrection as it exemplifies who we need to be and how we should act to the world. And many times that is a very upside-down thinking, opposite of what we've been taught. So condition us, not the ways of the world, but the ways of the cross. Your humility, your strength, and meekness. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship 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 Amen.